the one message that I'd want everybody to hear that's listening to this is the same thing, man. An airplane takes off into the wind for a reason. So you gotta have resistance for your dreams and to take flight and to ascend to the person you're supposed to be. In the game of golf, there are so many amazing stories. And behind those stories are a number of truly remarkable people. My name is Michael Mahoney, and in my role here at Titleist as Vice President of Golf Ball Marketing, I've had the opportunity to meet a number of these people and to hear their stories. As we close in on Patriot Golf Day, a cause that is so important to us at Titleist, we wanted to share with you the story of Major Dan Rooney, the founder of the Folds of Honor organization and a man who had a vision for helping military families through the game of golf. I sat down with Major Rooney earlier this summer at the Patriot Cup, one of the marquee events for the Folds of Honor, to talk to him about his life as an F-16 fighter pilot and PGA golf professional, and how, as he says, chance with a purpose inspired his life-altering mission. So listen into our discussion and get to know more about this dedicated patriot who has devoted his life to helping serve those who have given so much. Dan Rooney, thanks for joining us today. We're uh, coming to you from the Patriot Cup weekend here in Owasso, Oklahoma, <laughs> um, and we really appreciate you taking time to talk to Team Titleist about your experience uh, with Folds of Honor and really your, your roots in the game of golf. And as a golf professional fighter pilot, you have an incredible story to tell. So we're happy you're here with us. The most patriotic place in America today as you drove in with a half a mile of waving flags. Um, yeah, it's, it's an awesome weekend. We remember the over one million service members who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy every day. And uh, it is an incredible collection of golf professionals and, and celebrities and uh, all the folks that, that support our humble mission. So yeah, it's a, it is a great weekend to be an American. We're, we're psyched to be here too. You know, I think the first time that I met you, you said, I'm going to paraphrase, you said something to the effect of so many of the good things or the blessings in your life have come from the game of golf. I wonder if you could just share with us, you know, your first memory of golf in your life and, and how um, you became a golfer as a kid growing up. Yeah, I would say, I'd go one step further. I would say everything good in my life is connected directly to the game of golf. And this podcast isn't long enough to, to go through that. Um, but uh, along the journey, I'll try to point out some of the, the moments where golf um, and my connection to that game literally has defined the significant moments uh, of my path. Um, it's, it's truly remarkable what this game has given to so, so many of us, but uh, I'm grateful every day for, for what it's done. You know, I grew up as, uh, as the, the youngest in, the, in my family, two older sisters, mm -hmm. and so I would look for every opportunity to get out of the house. And my dad was a college professor and avid golfer, and he, I had four cut-off clubs and uh, would carry a golf ball in my pocket. And the rule was I could play with the boys as long as I never fell behind. So mm -hmm. I'd tee off from the forward tees. And, uh, you know, I hit my, uh, hit my club down the fairway. And, I'd, you know, I'd run. It'd take me about three shots to, to catch up to, uh, to my dad. But you know, I never fell behind and probably set my, certainly my love of the game um, in motion uh, was, was through my dad and uh, subsequently speed as I think about how fast I played golf and that's been another theme in my life uh, as well. <laughs> that may have set things up for you. Yeah. So, so how old were you when you started playing? You know, I was a, around four or five years yeah. um, old. By the time I was allowed to go out with my dad, I was about six. 
Yeah. So uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So like so many of us, I mean, I always remember the day that my dad brought home my first set of clubs and it it literally sort of in many ways setting me on a path in my life too. So do you had this relationship with your father and I know he played a, an instrumental role in shaping kind of who you are and, and, and challenging you and thinking about the choices you were going to make in your life. And I know as you kind of developed, you really at a pretty young age started developing a vision for what you wanted to be in life. I did, and you, as my dad and I's relationship evolved, and he taught at Oklahoma State University. Yeah. You know, I've never been enrolled in his class there. I thank God he's 77. I'm still enrolled in his, in his classroom of life. But as a young lad, uh, many of the lessons he shared with me were walking the fairways together and that time that we spent. And he would pontificate on all types of different subjects, and, but he always finished you know, with this sturdy refrain. He said, you know, son, the only truly successful people in life are those rare individuals who identify their passion and then they have the courage to pursue it with kind of reckless faith, right? Mm -hmm. Just go go after it. And um, I was 12 years old and playing the burned out fairways of the Stillwater Country Club was about 110 degrees and it hit me, literally. And I stopped my dad and um, I'm like, hey dad, I know what I want to do with my life. I said, I want to be a golf pro and a fighter pilot. And he stopped, he's a red skinned, steely blue eyed Irishman, so he's pouring sweat, right? Stops in his tracks and he looks at me and he, he said, son, can you tell me which way an airplane takes off? And I'm 12, right, Michael? And I'm like, look at him, like, is it into the wind? And he was like, that's exactly right. And the, the beauty of that moment is he was preparing me for those inevitable headwinds, right? That resistance that would stand between this 12 year old boy and this huge, crazy dream, right, that's never been put together by anybody else. Um, but obviously I had no idea how these, these two dreams would ultimately combine um, in, in my life. But uh, yeah, that was certainly a prophetic moment that would, that would play itself out in really powerful ways. So I think we can see how golf became a part of who you are from a very young age. So what was it that prompted you to think about being a fighter pilot? and pairing that with, uh, with being a golf so professional. Another significant moment in golf, and this gentleman's actually here today, so General Steve Courtright, call sign Reno. And so I was playing golf, uh, that same year I was 12 years old. He was, uh, he was 40, and I met him, and he was my first man crush, literally. I'm <laughs> like, you can be this cool. I mean, th and he's just chiseled out of marble, right? He's steely, blue-eyed, killer, just awesome dude, right? Yeah. And uh, played golf with him and, you know, spent 18 holes. And I was like, wow, this guy is so, his aura and presence. And so that was the, the moment on the golf course that sent me on this journey to become a fighter pilot. And, you know, he mentored me through literally for the next uh, 10 years of my life before I would go off to, to pilot training. And it's so cool he's here at the Patriot Cup today. And that relationship still lives, lives through golf. The relationships you had that, that form this vision. Did you have, uh, from a, a golf professional standpoint, was it just being affiliated with the game that made you want to become a golf professional? Or were there role models for you then at that age that, that made that kind of path and vocation, if you will, um, appealing? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think I've always aspired, if I was going to do something, I wanted to be the best. Mm -hmm. And I looked at, you know, I want to fly, I want to be a fighter pilot. Right. They're the best. You know, I'm going to play this game. And certainly had some influential golf professionals um, growing up. Paul Ryan King, um, a Hall of Famer out of uh, the state of Illinois, the section up there. 
I had um, a couple great golf professionals at Stillwater Country Club, and the same kind of thing. I looked at them, I was like, I want to be like that person. Um, I, I love, you know, the excellence that, that that they demonstrated and the respect that you know people had for them as a as a young kid looking up. It's like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, certainly, the, those guys impressed upon me that. Um, that if you're going to be in the game of golf and around the game of golf, to be a PGA golf professional is um, achieving at the at the highest level. You know, obviously, I I wanted to play for right. a living as well. Um, thank God for the answered all. prayers, <laughs> as my buddy Garth Brooks would say, and because uh, I think I've been on a more impactful course. Um, I'm not a great putter, which uh, which held me back. But yeah, I mean. I would say just just the PGA professionals that I met inspire me to be part of that uh, great organization. So you talked about that moment as a 12-year-old and and really that stake in the ground and saying that to your dad. As you grow up a little bit and you're in high school, is that a time in your life when you really started focusing and trying to chase a little bit of of some of those dreams between whether it was on the golf side or, or even starting to think practically about what it would mean to be a fighter pilot? So there wasn't much I could do to be a fighter pilot at that point, right? It was the natural evolution. I, I wanted to play golf at Oklahoma State University. Yep. Wasn't good enough. Yep. Um, so I headed north to the University of Kansas. Again, another total life-changing, defining moment, courtesy of the game of golf. End of my freshman year, I meet my wife, uh, mm-hmm. my soulmate, who's the uh, mother of my five daughters, which is crazy um, that I have five girls, but they made me a, a much better <laughs> person. You think Iraq is scary, right? Wake up at my house every morning. Um, and totally unqualified to do hair, uh, as they remind me. But uh, yeah, so I would meet Jackie at the University of Kansas. And uh, we had a good career there. We had some good teams there. Went to the NCAAs three out of my five years. Made the cut a couple of times. Got to play against a guy, Tiger Woods, played in the U.S. Amateur, and, mm-hmm. you know, had a, had a good college career. Especially, the thing I'm most proud of is I wasn't the best player um, by any means, but the the work ethic that I brought. And I'm like, hey, there are tons of people with more talent. I can't control that, um, but I can control the fact that nobody's going to outwork me. And uh, like my old golf coach at KU would, would attest to the fact that I was one of the hardest working guys um, that was there. And... And uh, I had a pretty good record against Oklahoma State my last two years, and I'm not going to lie, that, 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 felt, uh, that felt good. I can um, imagine. Yeah, but in college, um, I knew I wanted to go be a fighter pilot, though. Mm-hmm. I knew that was a path. So I was preparing and getting the things my junior and senior year in order to, uh, to go off and eventually join the, join the Air Force and, uh, and do that. A lot of times when I've heard you talk about the different things that have been important in your life, you talk about the team around you. And golf, for so many people, is such a solitary game. Mm-hmm. Um, your experience at Kansas in playing on a team and being a part of that, did that have a formational impact on you? It did, and, and it's an interesting parallel, too, because it is much the same feeling as, as being a fighter pilot in the military. Right. You stop playing golf not just for yourself, but for the fact that you didn't want to let anybody down. Right. Right. And obviously higher stakes when you're over the skies at, sure. in the middle of the night over Iraq and an F-16 and you're dropping a bomb to make sure, you know, a group of special operators are, are safe on the ground if they're under attack. But that same feeling when you become part of a team and you wanted to post the score and not ever let your team down. And mm-hmm. so it became much bigger than uh, than you at, uh, at that point. So... 
you graduate from Kansas, and now I, I would imagine you're faced with, boy, I, I have the opportunity now to go to make some of this, this 12-year-old promise I made to my dad a real reality, right, yeah. in terms of what my life is going to look like. And golf is still the path. So I graduate from right. Kansas. I, I have to turn pro because I have to have my private pilot's license in order to register with the Air Force to be considered for, for flight school, right? Mm -hmm. So I moved to Florida, and I play on the mini tours. It takes me a year and a half, and I'm literally making money and going out to the municipal airport um, and taking lessons in a Cessna 152 that's top speed is like 75 miles an hour, I mean, literally. And uh, I remember you could go down the highway in Florida, and if there was a big south wind, the traffic would move faster than I did nice. in, this, in this little airplane. But, uh, you know, so cobble together enough money, get my private pilot's license, and then was literally, you know, off to the next chapter in my life. Did you have, at that point in your life, plan on mini tours, still aspirations of trying to make a go of it? And, no, I, from a I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot. You knew. And it, yeah. an interesting thing, Mike, when you ask that, the, the fighter pilot thing had a, a, a definite stop. So I had to be in pilot training by the time I was 27 and a half. Mm-hmm. So I looked at these two dreams and the windows in which they were they were offered. So that one was going to be done if I didn't get in pilot training and that whole process. And I figured, hey, I can go be a fighter pilot, and then if you know the opportunity ever presents itself, I'll go play some more golf. Right. So are you concurrently also doing the work you need to do to become a golf professional? Or at that point, it was all it was all kind of, we're funding my, the pursuit of fighter pilot. Life. Yeah, I had to make five footers uh, yeah. in order to make enough money. <laughs> but as a, as a PGA golf professional, is yeah, that? Yeah, not yet. Not yet, no. no. Not yet. So, no, I was very myopic in my approach okay. at that point. So th this was at what time, uh, what years are we talking about here? Um, so this is in, I went off to 90s? flight school in uh, the year 2000. So a timely. So, Pretty yeah. timely. So nine, 98 is when I joined, and yep. finally through the process of security clearance, all the things that, that happened in the year 2000, um, I was actually in flight school. Okay, so how long are you in flight school? About two and a half years. Right, so 9-11 um, happens while you're in, in yeah, flight school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 9-11 happens when I'm in flight school, and um, just that much more affirmation that I'm in the right place. You were doing the right thing, the right In the place. right place. Um, and it's you know a crazy program, most demanding thing of you, most costly and demanding military training in the world. They spend now an average of I think about eight million dollars per pilot, wow. individual training them over the two and a half years. As you can imagine, the attrition rates are really high. Um, again, not the most talented guy. Um, a lot of smart 4.0 students from the you know Air Force Academy. I'm right. coming from the University of Kansas as a 3.0 grade point <laughs> average, and but I had good hand hand eye coordination. And I go back to the game of golf. The thing, the skill that I brought to pilot training that many of the people that I was competing against, literally, because you got to finish in the top of your class to get a fast move or a fighter jet. So right. everything you do is graded. All your flights, your academics, your simulators. But I understood how to perform under pressure because of the game of golf. Mm -hmm. And when I sat over five foot putts, I played in NCAAs and, and US amateurs, and while the pressure's a little different, it's virtually the same. And when your mind is scrambled and your heart's racing, but you're still able to perform um, at that level, and that was a huge um, advantage for me. And you know, started out kind of slow, 
but uh, but finished really high up in my class and was fortunate enough to, to get an F-16 as a result. So uh, how quickly um, are you deployed on your first tour following that? Yeah, I'm, it's it's a great, <laughs> it's a, I know it's a funny question. I look back, it, was, uh, it wasn't funny, but I, it was like World War II timing as far as when I was deployed. There are a lot of guys, I mean, they don't fly a fighter, and you may never go to combat. Right. Well, I can um, imagine when you went to flight school, I mean, it, the world was very different from when you... Yeah. Graduated. Yeah. Right? And from when I graduated and I left F-16 training and I was in combat within one month of leaving. Wow. And I'm not kidding. I still at that point don't know what 10% of the buttons do in the F-16. Right. Just still because there's right. ongoing training when you go back to your squadron. It's called mission qualification training. I've air refueled one time in my life. Uh, and air refueling is a crazy thing, right? I mean, we don't stop to get our gas right. on the ground. We're rejoining with a KC-10, um, doing 310 knots, day, <laughs> night, weather. You're within 10 feet of each other. That's the and ultimate five-footer there. It is the ultimate five-footer, <laughs> right? And it's the same, but it's crazy. It's like, I always say, you know, wiggle your fingers and toes because, when, because you are manipulating the airplane um, with thrust and the vector up and down, left and right, to stay connected. So it's all hand flying, but I've done that one time, right? I come home and they're like, pack your bags, you're going to combat. And I left there, we have a term in the fighter pilot world, we call it all thrust and no vector. And I'm full of confidence, but I have right. no idea right. what I'm doing. Right. And I remember going out there though, the, the moment, the night before my first combat mission, I don't sleep at all because the reality is, is sunk in and there is all kinds at that point, surface to air missiles, AAA, and I'm gonna wake up the next day, I'm gonna go someplace or somebody's gonna try to kill me. Right, So you're and, and you're deployed to Iraq. I'm, yeah, I'm deployed to Iraq. Yep. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, and it's a very yeah. spiritual moment and you do some, the things that you do when you're going over there that I was read into that I had no idea, you write a letter to your wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah. pretty big moment yeah I mean it um, it is and you're like hey if anything happens you know yeah. I love you you know tell the kids if you're I reading love this them. kind of a letter. yeah and you're yeah. writing this letter I mean yeah. the tears are dripping down your face and yeah and hitting the piece of paper and you know you tuck it in and you give it you know put it in an envelope and you give it to your bro and he gives you yours and yeah but and that's it I mean he's very real moments that not many people know about. Right. Right. And that I had no idea going into this and that, you know, the realities of, of what you were going into. Having known you for a while now, though, my sense is that, you know, some might from the outside look at that moment and think, boy, are you sitting there going, what have I got myself into? I would imagine that was a pretty affirming moment, though, that, again, I'm in the right place. This is kind of my calling. Um, yeah, I think it was a combination. I mean, you're scared, mm -hmm. but but I mean, what do they say? I mean, being brave is moving forward despite fear. Right. And yeah, there, and and he's still. I mean, you're not you're not waking up. I'm not going into combat thinking well, I'm going to die today. Right. Um, but the realities were on, you know, my first mission. You know, we start seeing all this flak pop up between us, and I remember there was this British weather officer. And uh, things that stick into your brain, you know, this great accent. He was giving us the weather brief, and he used this term, CAVU, which is ceiling invisibility unrestricted. So it's a beautiful day, no clouds. Mm -hmm. And I remember flying in formation um, over Iraq, and I start seeing these, you know, white, puffy, you know, cumulus clouds. I'm like, wow, there weren't supposed to be any clouds today. And I feel my wing rock, 
on on my jet and I realize that it's 120 millimeter getting mm -hmm. shot at us, which is like the size of golf carts to yeah. put it in our right. terms. Right. Right. These huge shells being lobbed up at us over Iraq and uh, and that certainly gets your attention as well. And as much as you go through the training in flight school, nothing I can imagine <laughs> prepares you for no. golf carts being shot at. No. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But to your point, it was it was really affirming you felt like you do all this work and man, I'm I'm part of this band of brothers. Yeah. Right? We're, we're sisters and but you're you're part of this generation or generations that are willing to go out there and make the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy each and every day. Yeah. So you, and so you ultimately have done three tours in Iraq, yep. right? Um, so how long, how long before you came home uh, after that first deployment? You know, our typical deployments are a few months. Right. So the ground guys are the real heroes. Yep. They're over there for a year at a time, but because of the, you know, the ops tempo and the, and the work that you do flying fighters, ours are in and out a little bit quicker when you're flying $60 million airplanes. Right. And um, for whatever reason, you know, we cycle in and out quicker than the, than the guys on the ground. But uh, I say, you know, it's, it's, it, if you're there one day, that's all it takes. Right. right? Whether it's right. a year or a day. And uh, it sure makes you appreciate uh, coming home. I can only imagine. I, I, so you come home. Yeah. So what's going on in, in your golf life at this point? Yeah, so um, number one, you, you, know, you appreciate green grass like you can't imagine <laughs> going to Iraq and, and the sound of birds and the things that you wake up every day in this country and you take for granted. Mm -hmm. um, but an interesting story about Iraq, and that's actually when I started um, my journey, was my second tour, and um, it was in 2004 when I started my progression to become a PGA golf professional. Mm -hmm. And I was bedded down in Iraq in 2005 working on my PGA stuff. So I was flying combat virtually every day, working out, and then I'd go to my room and I'm working on my, on my PGA, you know, level two school over there and pounding away um, I would imagine on this at every waking moment I had. Yeah, when you, when you get the assignment where you have to go find, a, you know, like a tournament to analyze the operations, that was a little harder to do that when you're sitting in It, it in was. Iraq. So some of that hands-on <laughs> stuff, obviously I had to knock out over here, but there's a ton of just academic mm -hmm. um, stuff with, with the program that, uh, that, that I was able to go through. And it was Pretty cool. I, I don't know what the average time is, but I, you know, I went through all my levels in about 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so, like most things at speed, if you're going to do it, just you Fire know, on. get it, yeah. get it done. But uh, I got some pretty funny comments when you know you send in all your academics and all this kind of stuff, and um, they found out I was doing it in Iraq. And I, I don't know, but I think I'm probably the only guy in the history of the PG of America that, that did their stuff while they were in Iraq. I would think that that's true. Uh, so at, at this time, I, I would imagine, you know, as you're deployed, you do think about what, what's out ahead of you in your future. And so was that calling to be a golf professional and that, that dream that you had, um, one of the things that really kept you going during, um, during the times yeah, of deployment? Yeah, I mean, what a beautiful distraction, right? Yeah, Most right. evil, awful place on earth. Right. Um, and to, you know, to be able to hunker down and, and work on becoming a PGA golf professional. And to your point, it, it was in my heart um, since I was 12. I was that I'm going to be a golf professional and a fighter pilot. And uh, little did I know why it right. was there, looking back, right? So getting close to that point where this all sort of comes together, you become a golf professional. Yep. 
And and how does that? How do you practically apply that? How does that become part of your life? Yeah. So. You know, we've we've got a golf course. My family up in in Grand Haven, Michigan. I think it really kind of takes us. If you, you and your dad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the shores of Lake Michigan, this sleepy little Norman Rockwell town, mm-hmm. and um, and we worked there. We're working there together, and that was my dream. I'm I'm a fighter pilot, and I'm a golf pro, and I got the ultimate job description, mm-hmm. right? And I am so happy in my life. But I will tell you. You know, looking back now, I realized, you know, that beautiful irony when you're helping someone that you're actually the one that's being helped. And again, defining moment directly connected to the game of golf. I'm on my way to Michigan mm-hmm. to go to the golf course um, on a airplane um, flight from Chicago here to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And walking through first class and notice there's a kid sitting there in dress army greens. A corporal don't think much of it. Uh, press on back to coach. An hour or so later, we land in Grand Rapids, and as we pull up to the gate, the captain comes over with a PA and makes a you know, strange announcement. He said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're carrying an American hero on board, and I'd just gotten back um, from my second tour, probably five or six months after that, and, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, what this kid do in first class is corporal, and he continues very emotionally, and, and the captain says we're carrying the remains of Corporal Brock Buckland on this flight who was killed in Iraq and his identical twin brother. Corporal Brad Buckland is in first class and has uh, you know, brought him home. And I was uh, being totally honest, in 05 was a really difficult time in Iraq and nobody went over there without being a little messed up. So I was, I was still dealing with stuff processing that, through yeah that been over there and it felt like the you know the war followed me home mm-hmm. i'm away from it i'm going to this great just kind of my world as a golf professional leaving that behind but here it is again and seeing a lot of terrible things in in combat but i'd never seen the other side of war and that night you know, i watched the buckland family on the darkest night of their lives including his four-year-old son is as he watched his American, his dad's American flag draped coffin, you know, inching down from the cargo hold. And the captain is interesting that he'd made a request that everybody stay in their seats until his remains had been removed. And you know, as the ceremony finishes itself up, Michael, I turned back to the plane and wanted to see that more than half the people had deboarded the plane. And it was, it was actually into the next morning, so it was late, but there was nowhere to go except a blanket of freedom that we'll all sleep under tonight, courtesy of Brock Buckland. And, the million plus other veterans that we uh, recognize on this Memorial Day weekend um, that have made that ultimate sacrifice for uh, for our freedoms, and that was what truly set in motion for me, uh, you know, a life-changing moment of synchronicity or chance with a purpose, as I like to call it. And I would start to connect with the game of golf again in this incredible, life-changing way. Um, on so this journey. So uh, that that moment obviously it changed your life and it moved you and it, to start thinking about how do you serve the those left behind, right? And yeah. seeing that out the window of that airplane. Yeah. It does and you know so what my initial goal was to see what, what I could do for Jacob, you know, his 4-year-old yes. son. And as a I, I, for myself, I speak, and I think for the vast majority of service members in this country, your greatest concern mm-hmm. is if something happens to me, what happens to my family? Right. And knowing that they've got an opportunity to, to get an education and pursue their dreams, you're not going to be there to provide that opportunity. And 
So we held a little golf tournament um, about a month later. And, so basically, uh, this and this is at this time, this isn't some grand vision for Folds of Honor. This is about oh, no. taking care of Jacob Buckland. Yeah, this is like, hey, let's see if we can raise some money. Right. Take care of him. He lives right there in uh, in Western Michigan. And, and I know how to do uh, this. I'm a golf professional. Yeah, I'm a golf pro. I'm going to run a little tournament. Right. Right. And uh, put together a little flyer and send it out and uh, Patriot Golf Day and uh, have 67 people show up. Mm-hmm. Right. We and we had a great day. I remember handing out hats. To everybody, just Grand Haven Golf Club hats and thanks for coming. This is great. And we sang the national anthem and did the Pledge of Allegiance and we went and played golf. And uh, we raised 8513 bucks. So it's a lot for 67 people. Yeah. And I'm feeling great. And um, I remember talking to my dad afterwards and I was like, Dad, why wouldn't everybody want to do what we just did today? And if you love this country and you love the game of golf, this was awesome. Right. And fast forward, um, a few months later, I'm sitting above my garage in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and um, I write an email to um, the editor at, uh, at Golf Digest at, uh, at the time, and because um, my dad was doing some consulting work for Golf Digest. He was the only person of any significance I knew in the yeah. golf world, right? right? So I figure I'll send this email to Roger and I said, hey, would you, you know, forward this email to Jim Nance of all the crazy things? And I haven't told this story very often at all. I mean, truly the granular side of, of how this started. And so he was like, yeah, I'll send it on to Jim Nance. And a couple of days later, I get this email from Jim Nance, which, you know, printed out and it saved. And I it told the story of the flight. And I said, man, I, I think we could do something really special through the game of golf. Um, you're the most awesome guy I know. And, in the game, would I you be willing to by help? This moment, it yeah. Me to do this one thing, but what if we did this yeah. on a grander scale? Yeah, and uh, he sends me this two-page email back, and I always think for all of us, when someone believes in you, the the motivation that comes from that, and I always say we're all we you all. The, I don't know if required is the right word, but called to believe in others. Mm-hmm. Right to pay that forward. I yeah. really try my best to do that. But so he emails me back, and then I'm like, "Wow, that was just enough to perk my eye." I was like, "Well, I'm going to reach out to the president of the PGA of America." I mean, this is like reaching out to the president of the United States for me as right. a rank and file right. golf member of 27,000 people. And uh, I called Brian Whitcomb mm-hmm. and uh, called the PGA of America. They gave me the number to his golf course in Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I called him and I left a message and uh, he called me back and I said, I got this idea called Patriot Golf Day. And I was like, you know, what if everybody would throw in an extra buck and go tee it up in the name of those who would defend our freedoms? And like so many people, not understanding the, the full, they call it the light of Folds of Honor at the time that connects, um, he was like, man, I'm, I'm all in. And off we went. To me, and, and again, Brian, such a, I mean, in many ways, heroic guy. Mm-hmm. Um, for what I know, there are countless golf professionals who have learned from Brian and you know, and, and point to him as a mentor. Um, but it it is, to me, I, I I always love the story that you tell about Brian taking your call and how that just taking your call made a difference and ultimately set this thing on a path that has taken us, you know, so yeah. far. So far, and there's not enough time in you know, our discussions um, 
But as you look back, you know, our 10th year anniversary, you know, we got 13,000 scholarships out the door. We'll put another 3,000 um, out the door this year. I mean, we're changing thousands of lives, um, but there's not a day that I don't reflect back on my dad's question to me as a 12-year-old. Right. And that's which way does an airplane take off because there is great resistance and challenge every day on this mission. Yeah. And it has not been easy and you just realize looking back over 10 years and I can't even tell you where we'll go for the next 10 but every one of these challenges every one of these struggles has been strategically placed along the path you know the iron sharpens iron yeah to you know not make it myopic about myself but to to get me in a place that you know you're humbled enough you understand that man this isn't it's not my mission, right? Right. This is this is a, a divinely appointed organization that is that is doing incredibly heroic work for these heroic families uh, who are out there. Because it's so easy to sit here ten years later and say, "Oh man, this just all worked out." Right. right. Oh, so easy. We could I could spend hours telling you about we call it bent metal in the fighter pilot world about all the bent metal, all mm -hmm. the mistakes, all the challenges, all the days, and I'm like. This is never going to work. Mm -hmm. It's all coming apart or it's never right. going to happen. And the one message that I'd want everybody to hear that's listening to this is the same thing, man. An airplane takes off into the wind for a reason. So you've got to have resistance for your dreams and to take flight and to ascend to the person you're supposed to be and be thankful for everyone you hit out of bounds, every double bogey you make. Um, those bad days are so much more important in the grand scheme of your evolution in life than any trophy you'll ever take home with you. Well, on behalf of everybody at Titleist, we're, I mean, we are so proud of our affiliation with you, with Folds, playing a small part in trying to advance the mission of what you do here every day. And, um, and I think every year we come to, whether it's seeing you here in Oklahoma, getting together in Orlando at the PGA show or somewhere in between seeing the, I think, not only just the tireless work that you do, but the work that everybody affiliated with the organization mm -hmm. who, would, who could only act that way with the belief that, that what they're doing is really making a difference. So we're, we're really proud of that and we really appreciate you uh, spending time with us today. Yeah, it is, uh, it's awesome. We'll finish where we started everything in my life that is positive is connected directly to the game of golf and this weekend on Memorial Day we get to play uh, truly the most heroic round um, of the year and we give America the opportunity to do that over Patriot Golf Day and uh, tee it up because we know every dollar makes a difference. I can't think of a, a brighter light or a better combination uh, when you talk about golf rising to the highest level than Patriot Golf Day. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Awesome. Remember to make your round count this Labor Day by participating in Patriot Golf Day. For more information and to learn how you can support Folds of Honor, visit foldsofhonor.org or patriotgolfday.org. Thanks for listening and check back soon for our next conversation.